Lord, we thank you for um, your goodness. We thank you for your care for us. We thank you for um, your presence here this morning. We do thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells in us and amongst us. We thank you, Lord, that you are here today to teach us, to build us up through your word and through worship and through prayer and through testimony. We do thank you again for the deans, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, for healing Laura recently. We thank you for also healing Steve Inman recently of his migraine headache. We thank you, Lord, that there are others here that you want to heal. We, we thank you in advance for the work that you're going to do there. So, Lord, we pray that you would teach us. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today. We pray the same for our children. We ask it all in your name. Amen. So if you're going to class, go to class. You can walk or run or stroll or on out. Open your Bibles to Matthew 6. Matthew, Greg Tyler's here. He flew in just for this sermon. Just for this sermon. That's why he's here. Matthew 6. Matthew 6.25, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Let me ask a question before I go on. Is it warm in here or cold in here? Okay, I've got an Arctic blast, like, coming on me. Like, I don't know where it's coming from. But it's like, I think I'm going to get icebergs before we're done. So, don't let it get hot. Just find that right place, okay? I'm like, I want to warm my hands up, but then you're going to think, what's he all worried about up there? (laughs) Wringing his hands. I'm cold. Okay, where was I? Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying what we shall eat, or what we shall drink, or what we shall wear. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, this passage has a lot to teach us about faith. And of course, the main uh, focus here is, we would say, material provision. But the principles apply to every area of life, not just to the area of material provisions. But I do think it's providential that Mike shared this morning uh, about le- having to learn to trust God in that area if he was going to grow his family. And so he had to grow in faith to believe uh, so that he could do what God was uh, requiring of him. So we want to learn more about faith. But what this passage is really about, it's about God. A lot of it's about God. You know, I remember reading through the scriptures uh, a number of years ago. And I decided I was going to read through the whole Bible with one thing in mind. What does this passage, whatever I was reading, what does this passage teach me about God? 
Now I say that because a lot of times we read the, there's different ways of looking at Scripture. And you can read the Scripture and you can read it and think in terms of principles. You can read Scripture and say, what is my duty? That's one way to look at a passage. What is God asking me to do? Another way, though, is to look at what does, what does this passage tell me about God? Now, why is that important? Because as we've been discussing faith recently, the, the ultimate foundational object of our faith is God himself. And our faith or our lack of faith reveals what we really believe about God. That's what it really reveals. What do we really believe about who God is? And so, as we look at this passage, we're going to bring out some things about who God is. And it applies not only to material provision, but it applies to many areas of our life where we must walk by faith. So Jesus here gives us, as I said, several reasons not to worry, really meaning not to walk in unbelief. So this is an exhortation to faith, or an exhortation to trust, whichever word you want to use. And he mentions six things. And maybe we'll get to all of them, maybe we won't. But the first thing he points out in encouraging his disciples to have faith is God's benevolence or God's goodness. Look at verse, starting in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he gives the example of the birds and he gives the example of the lilies of the field. Jesus is saying that God has given you something already. You listening? Laura, I'm going to use you. Are you listening? God has given you something already more important than food or clothing. God has given you life itself. And the thing to understand here is that your very existence is an act of God's benevolence. You exist because God wants you here. Hold your place and go to Revelation for a moment. I could just quote some of these, but I want you to see them in your Bible. Revelation 4 is the big worship scene, right? One of them. Verse 11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We do not live in a random universe. We are here by the will of God. God is good, and, and, and God, the scripture says, is love, and the person, I, I, I'm tempted to say the power, the force that brought you into being was not random chance, it was not fate. What brought you into being was God who loves you. As a matter of fact, he brought you into being because he loves you. He doesn't love you after you have being. He brings you into being because he loves you. Love produced you. Now that's why marriage is so beautiful. Because marriage, in marriage, the, the, the union of the man and the wife is an act of love. And that, that act of love produces then 
a being, if you will. Love produces a being. You are here because God loves you. If God has given you such a great blessing, your very existence, this is the way Jesus is arguing here, even life itself, Jesus has given you life itself, then will he not give you the lesser blessings? That's what he's saying. It's, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If, if he's going to give you, if God is already giving you the greatest blessing that you can receive, which is life, will he not give you the lesser blessings, whatever those might be? In this context, of course, Jesus is talking about material provisions, but it applies to many other things. One author said this, he says, God has given life a far greater blessing than meat, that he has created the body of of far more consequence than raiment. Shall not he who conferred the greater blessing, and I would say the greatest blessing is existence itself, the greater blessing, will he not be willing to confer the less? Do you follow the logic? Say yes. yes. Now think about that logic. And it applies not only to food and raiment, it applies to other areas of your life. If God has given you life itself, will he not give you wisdom if you need it? Will he not... Uh, heal you if you need it? Will he not give you financial provision if you need it? Will he not give you power for victory over sin if you need it? That's what Jesus is saying. And this argument ought to bear a lot more weight with us who are Christians because not only has God given us life itself, God has already given us eternal life. He's already given us eternal life. What what greater blessing, you might ask? Look at Romans 8 for a moment. After Paul talks about the glorious plan of salvation, he says in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? What is our response to, to, to God's saving works toward us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's arguing the same way, from the greater to the lesser. If God gives you his own son, Jesus, then how much more will he give you things lesser than Jesus? It's always astounds me that we can believe in the greatest, but not in the less. We can believe that, that Jesus rose from the dead, or we say we do. And if, in order to be saved, you have to really believe it. So, we say we believe that Jesus conquered sin and death. We say we believe that God has given us eternal life. We say that we, we believe that we're going to live forever in heaven with God. Those are pretty amazing things to believe, right? But then we can't believe God to provide financially. We can't trust God to heal. We can't trust God to give wisdom. We can't trust God for power. How is this so? How, how is it that we can believe the greater, but not the lesser? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, wait a minute, what are you doing worrying about the lesser thing? Look at the, look what God has already done. Look at who God already is. 
And when God gives you life, it's a display of His goodness and love towards you. When God gives you eternal life, it is another grand display of His goodness and love for you. And for the Christian, you know what God has already given you? He's already given you Jesus Christ, His Son, because of His love towards you. You know what else God has given you? God has given you His Holy Spirit because of His love for you. Did you guys drink your coffee today? I mean, think about what the word says is true. That's why Laura was trying to say, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. When you leave, your Holy Spirit's at home. Tomorrow morning, the Holy Spirit's at your work. God has given eternal life to His people. God has given His Spirit to His people. God has given so much to His people. The things referred to in 1 Corinthians 2, the hidden mystery, which He has now revealed to us through His Spirit. These things we can know, and these things we can walk in. Amen? But we know them and we walk in them by faith. It is by faith. So the first thing Jesus wants us to see is God's goodness or God's benevolence. All right? That's why I've been talking for several weeks about who God is. Not just about faith, but about who God is. Because I can get up here all day long and say believe, and you're going to say believe who? Believe what? The question every one of us has to answer at some point in our life is, do I really believe God is trustworthy? Do I really believe that God loves me? Now this applies to salvation. Jesus died for the world, that's history. Jesus died for me, that's salvation. But that same principle applies to the Christian life. If God can heal Laura, then why can't God heal you? If God can provide for Mike, why can't God provide for you? If God can give so-and-so victory over sin, if if God can fill so-and-so with the Spirit, then why can't He do that for you? Because as I as I as I said last week, and I and I have been saying in in different ways to different people, we must take this whole discussion of faith out of the realm of the general and the abstract. It must become a faith which is focused on the here and now, or otherwise it's not faith. Now, if I said to you, do you believe God can heal? I, I, I suppose most of you, no, I bet all of you, if you're a Christian, would say, of course. Let's see. Can God heal? No. Now, if I ask the question, is God able? That's a different question. Well, it's, let me put it this way. Uh, I won't ask that question. Okay, God is able. But in a, in a particular situation that you are in, you've got to take that general truth and now say, in this moment, do I believe that here and now in this situation as it applies to me? Because we have all kinds of general truths bouncing around in our head that are not necessarily what we're walking in at any given moment. So we take the general truth, and when we really believe it, it becomes focused in the moment. (laughs) That was the Lord saying, I agree. The Lord is saying, listen, he's focusing 
Focusing right here, right? So, I believe that something as simple as believing the love of God, which a Christian must profess. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? I mean, it, it is so elementary. It's one of the first things. I mean, it is the thing. The attraction of the cross is the display, not simply of God's justice, but of God's great love, right? That's what draws us. He woos us with his love. It is so elementary. But the thing, the thing is this. It's like, you know, let's say you're a mom at home and you're raising four, four, four kids. We'll just pick four. Random, random numbers. <laughs> I read an interesting article about numbers. Oh, never mind. I won't get into it. But it was interesting in this survey of thousands and thousands of people. The most popular number, you know what it was? No. Seven. Yeah. Anyway. So, you know, you're a homeschool mom and you're doing this and you're raising your kids. And you know how it is when the kids are little, right? They're into everything. So you got a kid. you got the kid in the kitchen. He's pulling all the things out of the pots and pans out of the thing. you got a kid in the bathroom. He's playing in the toilet water. Then you got the kid climbing the drapes. And then you got the kid swinging on the chandelier. Right? You ever been there? I've, we've been there. Right? We've been, guess what? You know what faith is? You know what faith is? Faith is believing at that moment. God loves you. At that moment. Not simply on Sunday morning, God loves me. Or all my kids are doing you know, the right thing and behaving, then God loves me. But at that moment, God loves me. Whatever the situation may be. And I use a funny illustration, but it could be many different things, right? The point is, is that we can come to church and say, God loves me, and sing songs, God loves me. And then when we're at work having a problem, or we're at home having a problem, or we're in a relationship, we have a problem, we're not acting like God loves us. We're not connecting the profession of his goodness and his love in the moment. So faith means not just assenting, you're going to hear me say this a lot, to general propositions. It means believing and trusting that that general truth is really true in a particular moment. Okay, Faith is something that you just don't say. It's something you walk in. You walk in. This is the most fundamental thing in some ways, to believe that God is good, that God wants my good, and that God truly loves me. You know, we sang a song earlier, I forget which one it was, and, uh, oh, How He Loves Us, right? Oh, right. You probably don't want to hear me sing it. But But as we sang it today, I kept on hearing the word me. Because we we need to take the, the truth that God loves all, and then take the more refined truth that God loves His church and then take, take that truth to, to the point where the truth is focused on me. Not to be me-centered, but because that's where our faith is really displayed. Do I believe God loves me? Jesus says God is good, that God loves us in numerous places. And here in this passage, he's saying, because of that, 
because of God's goodness, because of God's benevolence, because God has already blessed you with life. And, and, and I would add, God has already blessed us with eternal life. Because of that, we ought to not worry. That is to say, we ought to walk in faith. The second reason he gives is God's providence, which um, he talks about in verses 26 through 30. Go back to Matthew. Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 6, he says, he gives these examples. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I'm not sure that we all believe that. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, now, I'm going to make a point. Now, okay, God does this in nature. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the fields. Okay, no argument. There's no argument to that, right? Now, kind of a conclusion. Okay, Now, if God does that, if God closes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus now is arguing from the lesser to the greater. Just the opposite kind of argument. But what he's saying is, if God is going to take care of the grass, God's not going to take care of you. If God's going to take care of the birds, God's not going to take care of you. Well, let me say this. I think one of the greatest impediments to faith is that we're not seeing the world the way it really is. Okay? Now, there's a whole lot of God talk in the church. Okay, we talk about God and God's stuff. But for many people, God is remote. Okay? God is, God is real. They might even say God is good. God loves us all. They might say, you know, God's, uh, there's going to be a final judgment in the end and we're all going to be accountable to God and God has rules, he has laws, so we should, you know, obey and all this stuff. But their God is remote. Do you know what I mean? It, it, I think much of modern Christianity is really a form of deism. That is to say, we believe, but we believe in a God which has kind of set things up in a certain way, and things kind of run on their own. And so, yeah, God's real, but he's out there. Yeah, you know, angels and demons, they're real, but they're kind of out there. It's all in this other realm, which is kind of far away. Do you know what I mean by that? Are you hearing me? And so because we assent to the to the general truths, we say that's faith. Oh, I believe in angels. I believe in demons. I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in miracles. I believe in this. I believe in that. But in reality, it's in a compartment which is far away. Now, Jesus' view of nature is such that nature does not happen randomly. That is to say that the when when Jesus looked at the grass, he saw the hand of his father. When Jesus looked at the birds, he saw the work of his father. When we look at the grass, we see photosynthesis. <laughs> it is true. You can get on the internet and read a thousand articles uh, from from nature magazines, and they just there's not a word about God. Because there is no God. It's all natural processes operating according to natural laws. 
And even if someone believes in God, somehow God is remotely connected with what's going on in nature. That's modern scientism. It's scientism. It is not a biblical worldview. Mike earlier referred to changing your worldview. It's not seeing the world properly. And because that view comes at us in a million different ways, we, we breathe it, we drink it, and unfortunately for many of us, we believe it. And so we're confronted with revelation in Scripture, and we say, well, I believe God's Word is true, so I'm going to say that's true. But it's not true in my life. It's just true. And it's in a compartment. And so, I've seen miracles. I've seen so many miracles, I I couldn't recount them all for you. I've seen people physically healed. I've seen people delivered from emotional bondage. I've seen people delivered from the shackles of sin. I've seen demons come out of people. I have seen all of these supernatural things. They're not remote. They're not in a compartment somewhere. They're real because God is right here. That's what Jesus is really saying. Things aren't random. We don't live in a random universe. God's not far away from everything. If you believe scripture, God is present everywhere. Go to Psalm 139 and we'll come back to to Matthew. I actually really struggled this week as I was praying about this morning about which passage to, to preach from. And I almost preached from this passage. Psalm 139. You all there? Say I'm there. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Now stop there. Look at me. Don't look at your Bible. Well, that's clearly talking about God's His omniscience. He knows everything, right? You know this, you know that, you know this, you know that. Well, you can believe that, and God can still be remote to you. But then he says this. You have hedged me behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. This God that knows everything is not far away. He is not far away. He is very present because the reason God is omniscient, meaning he knows all things, is because he is, he is in his essence infinite, which means he has no limit. And if he's infinite, he is infinite in all things. So as his infinity applies to knowledge, it is omniscient. And as his infinity applies to space and time, he is everywhere at all times. J.B. Phillips, years ago, I think it was in the 60s, wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And I think that sums it up. We, in the church today, have a God who is very small. He's nice. He's good-looking. He's, he's you know, got all the right attributes. And he sits on the shelf and in, the, in his little compartment. And we dust it off and make it look nice because we have a shrine. It's a little bitty shrine somewhere in our head. Okay, It's a compartment of general truths. And they might be orthodox truths. But the God of the Bible is not going to be contained in a box. He's not going to sit on the shelf. He doesn't do that. And so he he works in your life to... Unfortunately, for many of us, he has to actually disrupt it. 
Because we're living in such a way, as Mike said earlier, I got it all planned out. Here's how my life's going to go. I'm in charge. Let me. If there's one thing I've learned in my many years, is this. I am not in charge, and neither are you. You know why? I am not God, and neither are you. There is a God in heaven, but he's not sitting far off in heaven. It is the same God who, through his providence, governs the world. He is working in all things. You say, how does that? I don't understand. I don't either. And you don't have to. This is why we pay theologians. They get to sit around and write books arguing with one another. How God can govern and we can have free will. Let, Let them do that. Okay? And while they while they argue these things, they miss the heart of Jesus. Okay, because Jesus wasn't arguing theology; Jesus was speaking to the heart of his people, where they live. When you can't pay the bills, do you believe God is there? When you're sick, do you believe God is there? When you are baffled and confused, when you are exhausted, do you believe God is there? When you are struggling against sin, do you think God is there? That's what Jesus is addressing. Jesus, his teaching causes so many questions. Excuse me. Because he's not addressing the theory. He's addressing life where it really is. He's saying, put the kingdom first. God first. God first, God first, God first. Over and over and over in his teaching. God first. I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me first go bury my dad. Let the dead bury the dead. God first. No, but Jesus, uh, I have to go get married first. God first. I have to take care of my, my cattle and my business. God first. That's what, that's what Jesus said. God first, God first. And we have all these objections, but he's saying God first because God loves you and God governs and God will take care of you. And all of these objections are ultimately irrelevant if you really believe in the God of the Bible. That's what he's saying. He's not answering our theoretical questions. He's calling us to discipleship. And that discipleship is a life of faith. It's a life of believing what he says, even though at times it seems incredible. It's a life of faith. So God, in ways we cannot understand, and I don't want to argue with any of you after the sermon, don't send me a bunch of emails about God's providence, because if I get those emails, that means you haven't heard what the Spirit is saying. This is not a theoretical debate. This is not a theological discussion. This is your heart. Somewhere in your heart, you either believe God is real and God is there and God is orchestrating your life, or you don't. And that's something between you and God. You've got to work that out. But I believe Jesus is saying, my Father is there. My Father is there. Look at the trees, look at the grass, look at the birds, look at the, look at the heavens. God is there. And if he can do all that, guess what? He can take care of your situation. That's what he's saying. Not only God's providence, but God's omniscience. He knows all things. We just read it in Psalm 132. But Jesus, uh, I actually think Jesus had Psalm 139 kind of in the back of his mind when he was teaching this. But anyway, he says the same thing here in verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. God knows. He, He knows what we need. 
He knows when we need it. Because He knows all things. There's no, there's no contingency in your life in the sense that all of a sudden, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this caught God by surprise. Well, no, it didn't. Because he knows all things, and he knew all things from, from, all, from time past. Psalm 145 says, your understanding is infinite. That means there are no limits. Infinity is something we cannot comprehend. And the best we can say is it means there is no limits. That's all, that's all we can say. And he knows before we even ask. The last point I'm going to make, there's other points, but we're not going to get to them all because of time. Jesus says here, we shouldn't be anxious. And of course, as I said, the primary application here is he's talking about calling us to the kingdom and dealing with with the, the anxiety we might have over material issues that are involved in surrendering ourselves to him. And he says in verse 30 that, that anxiety is unbelief. In verse 30, he says, God clothes the grass. He says, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Little, little faith. Fear and faith are opposites. Anxiety and faith are opposites. Uh, as I said, I think uh, recently one of, my, one of these sermons, I think that we downplay worry. As if it's not a, a, a big deal, it's a big deal. Because it's unbelief. This is no small matter. Because the word of God says, without faith it is impossible to please him. Right? Without faith we cannot be victorious. Without faith we cannot be prosperous. Without faith we, we cannot be content. Without faith we cannot be blessed. As Jesus said over and over in his ministry, according to your faith, so be it. That is why faith One of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons our faith is so important. And we have to take our faith out of the realm of the abstract. And we must learn to walk in the truths that we assert in the moment. Whatever that moment might be. Whether it's this moment this morning, or the moment tonight, or the moment tomorrow morning, it is it is walking in the truths that we assert in the moment. I like when the deans gave their testimony, Laura used the phrase, um, I had to step out. Because <clears throat> that's what faith is about. It's about stepping out. It's about stepping into what God's word says. You step into it. Like, well, I don't know if I can really do this. I don't know if this is really going to happen. I don't know this. You step by faith. We walk by faith. Amen? God is calling us to a life of kingdom living. The kingdom being first. The Lord being first. His will being first. His righteousness being first. He being the Alpha and the Omega of our lives. Amen? The essence of the the great commandment, the essence of the calling of the kingdom, is that we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul. Love the Lord our God. And we have promises in the word, and here's one of them, that if you seek the kingdom first, if you love the Lord your God first, he will take care of all of these things. 
Now that's a promise. That is a promise. And you're going to have to work that out in your heart. Because some of you are like, sure. You're going to have to work it out. It's going to be you and God. I can't make you believe. No one can make you believe. It's something you work out between you and God. But I can assure you that as the Lord grows you up in faith, He brings you into situations, and sometimes they're painful situations. And those situations are designed for you to grow in faith. Okay? And when you're in those situations, what happens is you, you have to wrestle with God. And whether you're saying the words or not, what's happening is, is you're saying, do I really believe that God is good? Do I really believe that God loves me? Do I really believe that God is governing my life? Do I really believe these things? I do, but not always. Because at times I find that I'm not walking in faith. In the moment. It's all about walking in faith in the moment. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you most of all for who you are. Everything that you give us, everything you do for us flows out of who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that your son Jesus has taught us who you are. He has revealed the heart of the Father. I thank you, Lord, that you are good. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that just as you govern nature, you're governing our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are present with us at all times. We thank you that you know all things about us. And Lord, we don't want to just assert these things in a church service. We want to walk in the reality of them. And I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. And he reveals the hidden mysteries. That he shows us the reality of the kingdom. So Lord, through your work in our hearts, I pray that we would be a people of faith who truly believe in a good, governing, gracious, omniscient God.